This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, May 16th, 2019, class of 2007. The worst one yet. We're doing it. Uh. My life has been building to this moment, Adam Hall. Oh, yeah? <laughs> As Anton Shakur once said in a convenience store. <laughs> And now it's here. Your whole life has led up to this moment. You just didn't know it yet. And we have to call it. Call it. <laughs> mm. I got to know what I'm calling for, though, Adam. Everything. I got. You stand to win everything. Call it. I got to know <laughs> what I'm calling for. That's... What's the... La- Actually, I'll try to... Uh, I, I got to know what I stand to win. Everything. <laughs> Sir, you're stand to win everything. Call it. Man, oh man. That is one of many movies we'll be discussing today. 2007 is the year. Adam, we are tasked with an impossible task. Yeah. (laughs) To figure out which movie is the best of 2007. The year that I would argue is the best movie year of the century. And I don't think it's close. Yeah, probably. I, I think since 2000, there has not been a movie year better than this. I don't think, man, I would argue since the 90s, maybe... Maybe even further back, if I'm being honest. Yeah, this is maybe 94 is the last great movie year. Maybe all the way back to 1980. I don't know. Boy, it's close, man. This is. I, th- there's even part of me that wants to say, I, I do I like this more than 94? I might. Eh, possibly. And I don't think there's another year in the ni- 99, I guess. 99. Well, 95 is a good year. It's not quite this good, but, you know, there's a lot of years that kind of... Come, come! If we're like to tier them, you have like A tiers, which are this one, and you have like A minus tiers. There's a lot of those for me. Right, ninety nine is one of those years. I yeah. think mm-hmm. was stacked with a lot of really good movies. Yes, not a lot of great movies. Couple. The thing about two thousand and seven, there are several great movies. Yes, and they're all on this list. These are like movies I would consider top fifty of all time. Yeah, not not just on like our personal list. Just I just think definitively. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think if you come to a consensus, at least two of these movies crack the top 50. At least. Maybe <laughs> three or four. Uh, Maybe. I will go definitely three, three of these. And that fourth one, which I know you're referring to, it's possible. I just rewatched it, actually. Okay. And I'm like, shit, this is a good movie. <laughs> I know! <laughs> shit, this is a good movie. I know. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk about them today. Here are your six nominees for the year 2007. No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood, Zodiac, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, Michael Clayton, and 310 to Yuma. Uh, <laughs> Let's start with 310 to Yuma. We'll get there in a minute. I have some notes about 2007 though, okay. and why you're just terrible at this podcast. <laughs> you ruin it every time. Uh, at the Oscars in 2007, a really fun year for the Academy Awards. I believe as well, I could be wrong about this, I think this was in the midst of the writer's strike. Oh, really? So the Oscars were either delayed or not held at all? They weren't held at all? No! I forget I, what happened that no, year. No, 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 they were held. I've seen I've seen the clips of the Coens winning for this. Okay, because I remember that award seat. Oh, you know what it was? The Golden Globes that year were not held. Oh. There was like a picket line and the writer strike messed with it. And I think it was resolved by the time the Oscars came you around. You and I didn't care about the Golden Globes back then, though. So I watched it. Jesus. 
What's, ma- what's the matter with you? I think this is the first award show I actually paid attention to. This one? Yeah. This is the first one? Yeah. I don't know when I started getting like into the Oscars. I just kind of read about them the next day, and that was it. And I guess that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's come full circle. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is the first year I stayed up till 11.30 to see which movie won Best Picture. Wow. I think it was 2007. All downhill from there, folks. Yeah. Now I do like five podcasts about the Oscars. Bag. <laughs> um, the nominees for Best Picture, Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, There Will Be Blood, and your winner, No Country for Old Men. The Coens won Best Director. Daniel Day-Lewis wins Best Actor for There Will Be Blood. Marianne Cotillard won Best Actress for La Vie en Rose. Mm-hmm. Javier Bardem, Best Supporting Actor for No Country. Interesting win for and, me, but I love it. Interesting. Yeah. Really? I think it's a surprising win. Well, I'll give you the nominees. You have Casey Affleck in Assassination of Jesse James, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Charlie Wilson's War, Hal Holbrook in Into the Wild. Yeah. No, to me, that's to probably the most surprising. Yeah. Being serious. But I love that performance. Wow. Oh, and I guess um, um, uh, Eli oh. for There Will Be Blood was also nominated. Okay. Oh, Paul Dano. Paul Dano, yeah. That's... Eh. You're su- why are you surprised by that? Because uh, it's the most subdued of the bunch. That's not generally what the Academy goes for. They go for the the far more like showy performances. Would you consider that performance performance subdued? Yeah. You think that's an understated role? Yeah. I mean, he's it's quiet, the, but <laughs> I mean, he's the embodiment of Satan. Well, evil and death. specifically Satan. Specifically, why death. do you always go to Satan? What's your deal with Satan? No, I and just God think, like he's a he's stuff. a he's a yeah he's evil incarnate. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that a quiet background performance. But it is a quiet. It's not it's not a background performance. No, he but dominates that movie. Mm. He dominates that movie. Every scene he's in, you can't take your eyes off that guy. Yeah, that's true. But that doesn't mean he's not, like, quiet and subdued. That's kind of why he's fascinating. I don't... I Okay, here's, I guess, my point. I would still call that performance showy, even if it's quiet. Which is why I consider unintentionally it Unintentionally I would maybe go unintentionally showy. All right, Perhaps. Interesting point. Best Supporting Actress, Tilda Swinton for Michael Clayton. The highest grossing movie of 2007. It's so funny when we do these recent years because I actually remember when all these movies came out. <laughs> it's easier for us. Yeah. It used to be like the best movies were the highest grossing. Now this is when the franchises are starting to take over. That's true. Highest grossing movie of that year by a mile. Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Number two, Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix. Three was Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Four, Shrek the Third. Five, Transformers. And so on. We should have nominated Spider-Man 3. Good point. How could you not? Venom. Venom. You know something, though. Better Venom than Venom. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I don't hate Spider-Man 3, by the way. Neither do I. I don't hate it. Can we have a Spider-Man podcast with Nick? One of, of these days, of course. Like I'm dead serious. After that conversation we had, I'm like, "Oh, we're doing a Spider-Man podcast." That that kid is so misguided. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, like, what did your dad teach you? <laughs> like, you need to be righted. <laughs> that kid is. It's just like I like plot over characters. Like, what? <laughs> Sometimes it's like you have to just like, 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 like just stop it. Just slap him just, around with the belt. Just stop it. If he just used a little discipline when he was younger, he wouldn't have grown up to be such a monster. Beat him with a wrench. Yeah. That would Doesn't work. like the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Oh, God. Come on, Nick. I'm getting really sick of these people who don't like the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. Like, back off. 
Dude, what's the matter with that kid? I don't know. Um, <laughs> long list of honorable mentions. We should say no national film registry for this not, year. Not yet. Not yet, but within the next few years, I'm sure that will be corrected. Mm-hmm. 23. I think this is the longest list of honorable mentions. Oh, my God. Had. Okay, go. And I would argue half of these movies are better than 310 to Yuma. Mm. I include Superbad, the movie that you almost nominated. I forced you to take it off. Yeah. Kind of wish we kept it on. 300, Grindhouse, Planet Terror, and Death Proof being the two installments in Grindhouse. You think both of those could be better? Than I'm not three- saying they're all better, but <laughs> these are the ones that I thought were honorable. Okay. Hot Fuzz, not really my type of humor, but... Uh, That's one that was a struggle for me because I do like... I like that one more than 310 to Yuma. Okay, people like that movie. Then why didn't you nominate it? Because mm, I think 310 to Yuma is a better movie. Okay. 28 Weeks Later, movie you like, I haven't seen. Very good. Zombies. Not great. Did Danny Boyle direct that one too? No, I actually have no idea who directed it. He did the first one, right? Yeah, but it's a solid sequel actually. Okay. Once, a movie I haven't seen, but I hear is phenomenal. It's a musical. Knocked Up, Judd Apatow. Pretty good. I think the best comedy of that year. Mm. Perfected the John, the uh, Judd Apatow voice. <laughs> That's true. So, for, for good or for ill, I suppose. Uh, well, it's, it depends on if you like the Judd Apatow voice. Yeah. I mean, I like Freaks and Geeks, but that's like... Yeah, Paul Feig as well. So yeah, Live Free or Die Hard, fourth best Die Hard movie. Mm, third best Die Hard movie. Okay, Tomato Tomato. What do you put ahead of it? What I put? Oh, uh, well, the original and uh, um, fucking uh, goddamn three. What the fuck? Uh, three. <sighs> Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yes. and and the first one. I think two stupid as hell, but I love it. And then f- uh, five is a piece of shit. I can buy that. Yeah. Ratatouille. Easily could have got on there. Yeah, that was a hard one for me as well. One of the more underrated Pixar movies. That's my third favorite Pixar movie. Wow, and you didn't put it on. Yeah. Man, you really screwed this up. Transformers, <laughs> the original? Not bad. No, I'm not I'm not even ashamed to say it. I like that first movie. I remember kind of liking it too, but bro, I flipped it on the other day. It was on TNT. Yeah. The last, like, I was waiting for basketball to come on, so I caught the back two minutes of Transformers. Oh, yeah. And it's just Optimus Prime... On a hilltop <laughs> with Lincoln Park playing in the background. Okay, but you hate Lincoln Park. So give me reason. It's like, what is this movie, dude? First of all, that's what I've done. It's it's the wrong song. You're thinking of Revenge of the Fallen. You you dumbass. Wrong movie. Wrong movie. Am I confusing my Transformers movies? Yes. Wait, do they all end with Lincoln Park tracks? First three do. <laughs> Each those, those movies are amazing. They are the exact same movie, and I, I love it when people say that about franchise films. Like you could not distinguish one from the other if you fucking tried. Dude, it's impossible. It's literally what a twelve-year-old would do if yes. he could make a movie. That's exactly what those movies are. They are incredible. I, I I can't believe we actually haven't talked about that fourth movie. Oh my god, I never saw it. That fourth movie is that's the first Wahlberg one, right? Oh, it's it's amazing with the Dinobots, with the Dinobots, and 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 the the statutory rape. Uh, relationship what oh it's great there's like this guy who's like i'm gonna be with your underage daughter and it's okay because of the romeo and juliet laws and it makes no fucking sense bro statutory rape is is okay on transformers 4 bro i need to check out that movie it's three hours long dude i think i stopped after two. Oh my god oh i can't i oh that All movie right. was just one the of these worst. days we'll do it on why is this a thing Whew. Uh, Simpsons movie came out that year. Oh, I like good the, movie. I like the Simpsons movie. I think like a. Uh, here's the interesting thing about that movie. 
the Simpsons TV show was not very good when it came out. Yeah. And I felt like the movie was the best episode Simpsons had done <laughs> in like 10 years. Yeah. Oddly quotable, too. Oddly quotable. I, spider pig. Spider pig. Even though now we have spider pig for real. I know. Which makes me happy. We are living in the simulation. It makes me so happy. If you need any more evidence. Born <laughs> Ultimatum, the third best born movie. Which is another one. Damn it. I, I could have I done it. Could have easily been put on. Could've. Easily. Lars and the Real Girl. Ooh, I like Lars and the Real Girl a lot. Is that Reynolds or Gosling? Oh, uh, uh, Gosling. That's Gosling. Same right. people who made... Uh... No, no, no. I was thinking of something. No, I was thinking You're of You're thinking half... of Half Nelson. Yeah, different people. Okay. Different people. Gone, baby. Gone. I haven't seen it yet. Which is weird because because uh, I like Casey Affleck so much and I've been told repeatedly to see good old Ben Affleck's directorial debut. Best thing Ben Affleck has ever put his name on. Cool. Besides Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> Incredible movie. Really good movie. If you had seen it, you would have nominated it, I think. Mm. Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Oh, the last Sidney Lumet film. You also haven't seen that movie. No. Good Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. Okay. All right. I be- Fun one. I mean, I'm bound to see it eventually. I, lo- I love pretty much everything that that man has done. Ethan Hawke, yeah. I think, was in that too, yeah, right? Yeah, he is in it. I like that movie. It's fun. Okay. Fun action movie. American Gangster? I, I, I kind of love American Gangster. I, didn't, I don't think it's good enough to uh, beat out 310, honestly. Okay. Uh but like one of the better like recent Ridley Scott films. I like it for what it is. Yeah. I think Ridley, it's like B minus Ridley Scott. Nah. Maybe a little better. Nah, a little better than that. Denzel's awesome in it. Yeah. Russell Crowe is whatever. <laughs> I like Russell Crowe in that. Okay. Well, we'll talk about him in a second. Uh, I'm not there. Bob Dylan. Oh, biopic. I haven't, I haven't seen that one either. Obviously, Bob Dylan is one of like the five most important people in my life <laughs> so i'm biased towards that movie but i absolutely love it i think okay. it's a masterpiece right. i think it's incredible also would have nominated that another year the mist oh i love the mist one of the better stephen king movies i think <laughs> that movie is awesome frank darabont oh my god that movie is so fucking good i can't even get over it frank darabont's third stephen king adaptation mm-hmm. pretty good horror pretty good satire yep Dig it hard. Dig it hard. Juno, a movie that I don't love. Atonement, another movie that I don't love. Both are whatever. I Am Legend, popular movie from that year. Will Smith. Yeah, whatever. I'm shrugging that one off. Charlie Wilson's War. It's okay. Aaron Sorkin. It's okay. Mike Nichols. It's kind of boring. Oh my God, I've seen that movie so many times. (laughs) I love it. So so fun. So fun. Tom Hanks, so fun in that. When Philip Seymour Hoffman smashes the mirror in the window in the office... Like for the second time, and then they bring in a new guy to install the glass <laughs> in the window, and he smashes it again. <laughs> it's awesome. And of course, National Treasure: Book of Secrets, which you like more than the first one, which is kind of incredible. One of the best movies of all time. Yes, but we didn't nominate it, so it's too bad. Too bad. Uh, again, about half of those movies are better than Three Ten to Huma, which is where we will begin our conversation today, Adam Hall. Yeah. Three, ten, two, Yuma. Directed by James Mangold, written by a bunch of dudes. Like three of them. Yeah. The remake of the 1957 movie of the same name, starring Russell Crowe, Christian Bale, and Ben Foster, nominated for Best Original Score and Best Sound Mixing at the Oscars. You said to me last week, I love this movie. Yeah. I ask you very simply, why do you love this movie? Because it's just awesome. What do you want from me? Everything about this movie is fucking dope. Like... Like, 
like the the I'm what do you mean like the characters and and the the level of rawness to it and the the urgency of the story the overwhelming sense of dread in everything that happens the, it's it I I love those characters and that performance and a western like this it's just awesome what do you want from me I disagree with about every single part of that. <laughs> What's your problem with this movie? Rawness? No. Sense of dread? Absolutely not. Western? I kind of take umbrage with that description. Okay. Not really a Western. All right. So here's what I didn't realize about this movie. I just watched it last night for the first time. It's kind of like a big studio movie. Kind of. It has three... Screenwriters, which is an obvious tell that there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Okay. The script feels overcooked. Uh, Okay. A lot of people messing with it, and so the dialogue kind of comes across as flat. The movie really doesn't have that much of an identity or a voice, and that bothered me a lot. Oh, see, I disagree with that. And I was sort of thinking about this. James Mangold is the director. Mm -hmm. I think Logan gave us uh, the... It changed our our point of view on James Mangold for the better. I'm not sure that this dude is an auteur filmmaker. The guy did Copland, for God's sake. He also did Walk the Line, which is very good. Sure. Also, like, a big studio biopic. So what? He did the first Wolverine, and he did... Like, this dude is a studio hand. This guy is a traditional, big-budget director who often works on blockbusters. And I think we saw Logan... Logan could theoretically be his most personal, small, intimate story, yeah. and it's about an X-Man character. Uh-huh. So um, I guess it just sort of caught me off guard. I was waiting for something a little more independent, a little more rough around the edges, a little quieter, and a little slower. Oh. And this was just sort of a standard shoot 'em up action movie with not a lot of humor and kind of flat performances. Uh, no, I disagree with pretty much everything you just said. <laughs> Aside from the studio thing, because it's definitely a studio picture. And it feels like one. Eh, it looks like a studio picture. Oh, definitely. I mean, this this is not this is an aggressive movie. You know, it's, aggressive. It, 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 to me, it's a studio in the way that like Mad Max is a studio film. Oh God, come on, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. No. Aside from like the film, I mean, the filmmaking in, in Mad Max is not studio at all. However, when you, when it just comes down to just just the attitude of the movie, yeah, yeah, it's 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 very different than what you would normally get out of westerns at that time. I guess. I mean, it's it's this is a kind of a harsh movie for what it is. How so? I mean, like I said, just the the level of violence in this movie. There's the, not a ton of violence. Yeah, there is. No. <laughs> the way it treats its characters is not necessarily all that nice. It doesn't exactly have the happiest ending. I mean, the character gets accomplishes his goal while the villain ultimately does get away. All right, we need to talk about the ending now. Yeah. I'm going to spoil the movie. Yeah. Because who the fuck cares? It's 310 to Yuma. Can you tell me what the hell happened at the end of that movie? What, with the final shootout and them just trying to uh, put him on the, on the train? So Christian Bale is like this rancher. Yeah. Who somehow comes into possession of this outlaw. Christian Bale plays the rancher. Russell Crowe plays the outlaw. Um, He is tasked with bringing him to a train en route to Yuma, where the prison is. Yes. Where uh, Russell Crowe is to stand trial and ultimately be hanged. Mm -hmm. That's what the 310 to Yuma is. Christian Bale has to transport him there. Meanwhile, Ben Foster... And, And the gang. And the gang 
are trying to free Russell Crowe from uh, Christian Bale's clutches. Yeah. And so they kill a bunch of the other sheriffs and shit that they're traveling with. Mm-hmm. And uh, Christian Bale's son tags along. And Russell Crowe ends up killing some of them. And Ben Foster's men end up killing some of them. And in the final moments, as Russell Crowe is about to murder Christian Bale, because, again, Russell Crowe is a vicious monster of a human being, Christian Bale's like, you know, I was never a war hero. <laughs> I just, I, I, I got shot by one of my own men overseas christian bill has a peg leg he lost his yes. foot in the war uh and russell's like all right fine christian bale i'll go on this train after all <laughs> and stand trial and be hanged for my crimes mm-hmm. so the two of them team up against ben foster mm-hmm. against russell crowe's better interest kind of russell crowe murders ben foster christian bale dies in the shootout and then Russell Crowe gets on the train voluntarily. Yeah. What the fuck is that all about? Except he doesn't. He's going to escape. How do we know that? We don't know that. He could have just ran away. Mm, he's going to escape, dude. I think that's heavily implied. I think he's just doing it for the kid at the end. Oh, because he has a heart. Because the kid at one point says, I don't believe that you're such a bad man. I mean, they do that frequently throughout the film, just through them being with each other, I think. Did you see the same movie? Yes. Eh. I saw the exact same movie. I hated the ending. Uh, I didn't buy the character motivations at all. I with I don't know, man. With everything that they went through the fr- throughout that movie, it, it made sense to me. You mean when Russell Crowe killed all of yeah. Christian Bale's friends? Yep. You think uh, after you go through that together? Yep. You're bound to fall in love. <laughs> fall in love? Well, Dude, it's such bullshit, dude. I, what, what's worse? When, uh, when Jason Statham kills Vin Diesel's friend... At the end of Fast 7 and then becomes part of the crew in Fast 8 or this where Russell Crowe becomes Christian Bale's friend after murdering all of his friends. Man, I'm just going to go out on a limb and call out Fast (laughs) 7. It's so far-fetched, dude. It makes no sense. It's a Western. (laughs) But it's not really a Western. Shut up. No, no, seriously, though. What are you talking about? It's not really a Western. Yes, it is a Western. It's a pretty standard action movie. It's a Western. In in thematically everything, if you you want the characters, these are about as Western as you get. They're more Western than a lot of the the more contemporary ones. If you bring, if you want, honestly, it's more reminiscent of like the Wild Bunch and just how it handles its characters. Like I said, it's just not nice with them, but it's not always exactly I don't know like revelatory of anybody. It's it's it's. You think this is a biting movie? Yeah, I think it's a pretty. It's sort of the the uglier tale. If you want me to be perfectly honest. I totally disagree. I, mean, I thought it was movie... pretty milk toast and pretty watered down. No, I completely disagree. And it just felt like a standard action movie. And It's definitely more action-oriented, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's always the most... F- I, I mean, I find it pretty exhilarating, but it's a different kind of exhilarating. Again, and a lot of that is due to its level of grittiness. So I thought the pace was just off-kilter. I didn't like it. Oh, uh, I think it's great. I can't stop watching this movie once it's on. Also... The idea of an a uh, an English gentleman and an Australian gentleman playing two Southern Civil War guys with those horrible accents was not that appealing. They're to not me. that bad. They're not that bad, dude. I'm just not with you on this movie. You got to get out of your own way, Nico. It's I'm not sorry. that bad. I'm sorry, dude. I, th- I think this no. Is, I thought it was deeply whatever. I think this is. I think this is you. <laughs> if I look, I think I think this is the 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 fifth best film. <laughs> oh, you're crazy. Yeah. You are high. 
You are high. What have you been smoking? You are high. This is not a top 10 movie that came out in 2007. Might be. I wouldn't have been that bothered if you nominated it another year. Mm, the oh. fact that you nominated oh, it this year. Are we year, doing this again? Yeah, we are. Uh. There was such an incredible crop and you blew it. What was? What else was I going to Just admit, you blew you it. You want me to pick Knocked Up? Sure. No. Knocked Up's a better movie. No, it's Poor not. Ultimatum's a better movie. No. You haven't seen Gone Baby Gone or Gone Before Baby the Gone Knows You're be Dead. Better. I don't know about that. Though, they're both. They're bo- Charlie Wilson's War is a better movie. No one even knows that Charlie Wilson's War is a thing. You're so wrong. No. And that's okay. <laughs> but no. It's fine. It's fine. It's a fine studio movie. I think it's a great studio film. Whatever. Ben Foster's good. Ben Foster's fantastic. Okay. Here's a movie that I made you watch. Yeah. Michael Clayton. Yeah. This movie's pretty pretty awesome. Written and directed by Tony Gilroy. Starring George Clooney, Tilda Swinton, Tom Wilkinson. One Best Supporting Actress, that is for Tilda Swinton at the Oscars. Also nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Original Score. How was it the first time watching this movie? How How was it for me? Yeah. That oh, was pretty sweet. Yeah. This movie's solid, as I said before. It's a solid, uh, fun movie with a kick-ass script. A kick-ass fucking screenplay. Incredible script. It, you know, it's, it's, it's talky. And the Very characters talented. are really well drawn, and it's a it's a thriller about uh, a, a lawyer, and how could that be entertaining? But it is entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And George Clooney's pretty great, and Tom Wilk- uh, Wil- Wilkinson, yeah, uh, is is fantastic. He's awesome in it. And uh, Tilden Swinton is pr- pretty good. I don't love her as much as most people probably would. I love her at the end, though. Oh, of course. Uh, it's it's not exactly my kind of movie. Yeah. But it's it, I I can't take that much away from it. It's very good. It's very well made for what it is. So Tony Gilroy is one of the minds behind the Bourne series. Yes, was a screenwriter I believe for all three of the movies, mm-hmm. and then wrote and directed Bourne Legacy. Yes, that Which, might be his first. Was that his directorial debut? I'm not sure. Actually, no, that was after the fact. No, I thought it was after that. That's right. Michael Clayton was the first. Right. Okay. Sure. 2007. Um, you can see a lot of Bourne in this movie. Yeah. Like it's directed like a thriller. Yes. Even though there's not much violence. There there is murder and there are explosions, but they're mm-hmm. few and far between. And it's one of the reasons why I love this movie. I was talking about Glengarry Glen Ross last week and how the actual machinations of the business side of things don't mm-hmm. matter and they almost seem secondary because the tone is so right mm-hmm. and the performances are so right. And I feel similarly about Michael Clayton. I've seen this movie a handful of times. I still couldn't tell you exactly what the plot is all about. Like there's this weird thing with a chemical that they're putting in weed killer and someone is threatening to expose the corporate secrets and there's hitmen involved and Michael Clayton is this fixer character, sort of like a Ray Donovan. If you enjoy that TV show, he uh, steps in for corporate problems and makes things go away. Um, Again, I still can't recount exactly what happens, mm-hmm. but the tone is so right and the script sings so much, I really don't care. And that's one of the miracles in the movie, I think. Okay. Um, I, I, I was always thrown off as to why George Clooney needed to be a fixer because it felt fairly inconsequential in the realm of everything that ends up happening in this film. Yeah. Because it's essentially him... Uh, chasing everyone else's tail right in the entire mo- movie he doesn't actually do any like real fixing in this movie no they just kind of mention kind of offhand that he's a fixer yeah he's called in as a fixer yeah and it again doesn't really 
they, they don't develop that as much as I thought they would, mm-hmm. which is kind of strange. And if I'm being – the tone at first actually really threw me off. Okay. Like really, really confused me. I was like, wait a second. This is, Again, similarly, it's like I'm, I'm. this is not what I expected at all. You know, I expected this to be more of like a – I guess closer to a courtroom drama. And that's obviously not at all what it is. Yeah. Well, it's it's a a corporate drama in the style of a spy thriller. Yeah, I was just about to say, it feels like a spy thriller to me. Sure. So, uh, which was, it took me a little while to get adjusted to that once, but once I did, I was, I was a, a little more comfortable with it. It's just, you know, it's, it's, uh, again, m- m- my problems with films like this in generally, it's not, it's not very, it's not memorable for its visuals at all. I find them very, um, I find this movie very standard in that way. It's, it's very, would you consider the Bourne movies that visually distinct though? Not really. No, but they're just a fun ride. Yeah. I, but it doesn't mean I – I'm not saying I dislike uh, Michael Clayton, but if I had to uh, pick on anything, that would probably be one of them. It's kind of like going on Space Mountain <laughs> as opposed to the log fume. Yeah. You I know? Get, I like get. on the log fume, you get to see the woods and you get a nice view of the amusement park. But then yeah. when you're on Space Mountain, you're in the dark. You still enjoy the ride. You're mm-hmm. just – you know, you're not that wowed by what you're seeing. Yeah. And it's it's – for what we're given, it's it's fairly thrilling. I think that the star of this movie is more the screenplay than anything else. Screenplay's it, great. It would not be anywhere near as good. Uh, uh, I mean, it's it's it, Jesus. It's so much better than anything you get out of the Bourne films in that way. Oh I God, mean, very different movies. But if we're going in the realm of just thrillers, this is one of the more like snappy scripts you're ever going to get. Incredibly snappy script. Some of my favorite quotes. What can I tell you? <sighs> Don't piss off a motivated stripper. Mm. <laughs> What the hell's going on? Who are you? Michael Clayton responds, I'm Shiva, the god of death. Uh, my favorite quote in the whole thing. I'm not the guy you kill. I'm the guy you buy. Are you so fucking blind that you don't even see what I am? I sold out Arthur for 80 grand. I'm your easiest problem and you're going to kill me? <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm not the guy you kill. I'm the guy you buy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, at the end of the movie, the ambiguous, I shouldn't say ambiguous ending, but open-ended ending where Michael Clayton gets in the cab after pulling off the swindle on Tilda Swinton. Yep. And just, he just tells the cab, the cab driver, give me $50 worth, just drive. You're afraid. I, I was just afraid something bad was going to happen. It's, a yeah. ni- it's one of those nice moments, kind of like Call Me By Your Name, where it just sits on the character for the credits and you're just kind of left to, to deal with, you know. It's almost like uh, giving the... the the character in the audience like just room to breathe after all that shit. Right. I love it when movies do that. And you're processing it together. Yeah. The graduate, same way. Yeah. Well, sort of. Not with the credits, but that that, that whole ending is the greatest oh shit moment in all of film. Right. Definitely. Yeah, oh shit, what did we just do? I love that movie. <laughs> exactly. I love that movie so fucking much. Uh I I my my favorite line in that is actually you're so fucked. <laughs> what? You're so fucked. <laughs> it's a terrific script. Yes. It is absolutely terrific. I, I And don't... that is Tony Gilroy's best talent, I think. Yes, I agree. I just I don't know if I would watch this again. Really? Yeah, I I like I said it's fine. It's 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 not one I can just throw on. It really isn't. It's it's good. I'm starting to think 310 to Yuma is a you movie. Michael Clayton is a me movie. Yeah. And we're just never going to come to terms with that. But at least I'm respecting Michael Clayton. <laughs> what is there to respect about 310 to Yuma? It's fine. it's well made. It's totally it's, okay. It's the, same, it's the same thing with this. It's like it's very well made. and It's, it's more than very well made. Yeah, Stop. It's, it's more than... It feels a little more essential than 310 to Yuma. Oh, don't you think? Eh, whatever. Dude, I've seen 
like not a lot of westerns in my life, but I've seen fifteen better westerns than Three Ten to Yuma. Nah, and that's that's well, I I will probably disagree with the amount of westerns that I've seen. This uh, no, <laughs> no. There's there's plenty of Clint Eastwood westerns that are not nowhere near as good as something like uh, uh, Three Ten to Yuma, aside from like Unforgiven and like Outlaw of Josie Wales and shit like that. But I would rather watch, uh, I would rather watch Three Ten over fucking I don't know Jeremiah Johnson. James Mangold gets way too much credit for Logan. Oh my god, that's the problem. I don't care. I don't. I'm not talking about James Mangold. I don't give a shit about James Mangold. I'm just talking about the <laughs> movies here. The movies as they are. I don't care about the people who made them. Just what what was the product that was dropped in front of me? And like, oh yeah, that was pretty great. <laughs> Denzel Washington was offered the role of Michael Clayton, turned it down. Regrets it. Is it a better movie with no. Denzel? Maybe not. <sighs> Although that being said, it's hard, it's hard to separate yourself from George Clooney. He's one of those actors for me. Rarely does he ever disappear into a role. I think it's a different movie with Denzel. Yes, I agree. I'm not sure if it's better. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know what that different movie would have looked like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. D- 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 to me, um, I could sort of take take or leave this movie. Like, I think it's very, very good, but it's it sort of falls into, like, the money ball realm for me. Another one of my favorites. Again, it's just like like if it's if it's on TV, like oh, it's fine, it's Moneyball, whatever. But I, I I find I find it a little more disposable. The only thing that elevates it to to a slightly higher degree is just the, the how awesome the screenplay is. Yeah. Again, but aside from that, it's like I I don't I just don't see myself watching this again. I'm not the man you kill. I'm the man you buy out. Whatever. <laughs> All right. All right, now it's time for the ball game. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Those other two aren't going to win. They don't. Yeah, we they, can we they, can cross they, them out. They right don't now. even matter. Yeah, they we don't. Can, we can cross them out right they now. They literally don't matter at all. We won't. We'll never agree on them. It's fine. I can't believe three ten to Yuma versus Michael Clayton is going is going to become a debate for us. We're the only two men that have ever argued. Well, I wouldn't movies. even care if, like, like you were to actually debate it and, like, Michael Clayton won. It's like, whatever. I don't really care. I don't. I. I. I don't love it or hate it enough. Like, I don't. I don't hate it at all. It's just that you know, it's like it is what it is for me. All right. So there are four movies left. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'll say about these four movies. Two of them are smashing successes. Yeah. And they are successes financially. Critically, awards-wise, legacy-wise, two movies here are are universally understood to be masterpieces. Mm-hmm. The other two movies were, I would say, abject failures. Didn't do well at the box office. Uh, Neither of them did. I looked this up. They were both flops. Financially, yes. Yeah. Released at weird times during the year. The reviews were okay, but not glowing, and neither of them had a lot of award season success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. However, what I'll say, and I can't believe I'm saying this, the latter two might be better than the former two. So we'll see. I think I'm going to make the argument on behalf of one. You're going to make the argument on behalf of the other. And I think it's really interesting because I think we should keep an open mind and say one of these two movies could Get into the movie Hall of Fame. Okay, I'm just gonna put that out there. So, where do you want to start? Well, let's no, let's start with Jesse James because I I rewatched that one as well. Okay, because it's been forever since I saw it, and it's so long. I was like, okay, I gotta rewatch this thing. Yeah, 
It's about two and a half hours long. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Worst title in the history of movies. Other than extremely wicked and whatever the fuck. Oh, that, incredibly that, vile. That, I can't even say that title. You can't remember it. No. That's, yeah, that's the worst title ever. I saw that movie too and it was... Was it? It was okay. How's Efron? Oh, pretty good. Okay. That's another one where it's like, eh, you know, eh, eh, eh. Worst title in the history of movies. Yeah. Written and directed by Andrew Dominic. Who went on to make the movie Killing Me Softly. Or sorry, Killing Them Softly. He also made a film uh, called Chopper. Right. And Eric Bana is unbelievable. Is that right? Unbelievable in that movie. Eric Bana? Oh, such a piece of dog shit. And it's... Oh, it's it's fun. Dude, I gotta check it out. It's a fun movie. I, I don't know if it's quite your cup of tea, but it, just seeing Eric Bana go to this place, it's like, huh? <laughs> it's it's actually pretty interesting. Tell me what happened to that guy, Andrew Eric- Dominic. Uh, well, he made Killing Him Softly. Which, I saw <laughs> that movie when it came out. I don't really remember what I thought about it, but I think I liked it. Uh, it was just a tremendous flop. It's one of those movies that people came out of the theaters and were giving it like F scores, which doesn't mean jack shit. Oh. James Gandolfini, Brad Pitt, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't. Is James Gandolfini in it? Isn't he? Or is that the drop? The, the drop is James Gandolfini with Tom Hardy. Maybe I'm getting them confused. I don't know. I remember liking that movie. Um, it's based on the novel Assassination of Jesse James by Ron Hansen. Yes. Starring Brad Pitt. Oh my God, what a cast. Yeah. Casey Affleck, Mary Louise Parker, Sam Rockwell, Sam Shepard. And Hawkeye himself, Jeremy Renner. I know. I forgot about him, too. Yeah. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor, that being Casey Affleck's performance, and Best Cinematography, that being Roger Deakins' cinematography. Roger Deakins was nominated twice in the same year. And lost. And lost. Right. Like... To the guy who did There Will Be Blood. And I don't even agree with that. I mean, I love the cinematography in that movie, but I, as, I, I think it should have gone to Jesse James after rewatching it too. I think he split the vote. I mean, my God. I think Deacon split the vote. You can't, you can't win if you've been nominated twice. That sucks. Yeah, that sucks. It's incredibly shot. Oh my God, this movie is gorgeous. Yes, it's one, it's one of the best looking movies I've ever seen. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, I saw that. I was like, "What the fuck kind of a decision was that?" Was I mean, I, I get it. Like, like there will be blood looks good, but guys, I mean, it doesn't look this good. <laughs> it's unbelievably shot. Yes, the bank robbery at the beginning. Those, there's no one who understands how to use silhouettes better. I think than Roger Deakins. Oh my god, when the train is being stopped With, on the, the tracks, steam comes up over Jesse. J- the ste- <laughs> and then or the lights flash on the gang in the woods with the the uh, the masks over their face. It's so chilling. It's just. It's awesome. like you're descending into hell. It's unbelievable. But like, it's it's so complex too. Like, there's a shot where they're leaving the train scene, and in the uh, background are silhouetted people lit by this like steamy glow. Mm. And then in the foreground are people lit by like this orange hue as they as they go away. And it's this interesting contrast between like something surreal and something that's right in your face. Yeah. And uh, I think it just fits Westerns very well, too. Sure. And, and also a Western like this that is supposed to be somewhat almost mythological. Yes. In the way that it's presented. And also the deconstruction of that myth. Yes, yes exactly. Right. Um, yeah. He also, of course, shot No Country for Old Men, Deacons. Yeah, I think this is better shot than No Country, even though I consider that to be one of the best shot movies of all time, too. What a year for cinematography. I know. Man, all these movies look amazing. It, as I said, was a failure. It was a a uh, a tumultuous production. Mm-hmm. was supposed to be released like earlier on in the year. 
ended up getting a September release, which is one of those like dead grounds. Yeah. It's like too late for a summer blockbuster, but too early for an award season campaign. Because I never heard about it when it came out. Yeah. It completely went over my head. $30 million budget grossed only $3 million at the box Ooh, office. Wow. Total failure. However, I saw this movie a few years ago. And I was stunned yeah. with how good this movie is. Oh, God, me too. I watched it with my younger brother, and we're just like, what is this movie? It's, it is um, such a forgotten masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess maybe it has something to do with Andrew Dominic, because he hasn't really done anything of note recently. I think now he's directing half the upcoming season of Mindhunter. He is? I think so. Oh, okay. I think him and Fincher are splitting the duties on that. Ooh, that's a good thing. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. Sweet. Right. Um, when is that coming out, by the way? Sometime this year. Okay. This guy was the prince that was promised, man. This yeah, guy was awesome. Because he made amazing movies. And honestly, I still think he's making pretty good films. If he had a film that come, came out a couple of years ago, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like loved. Again, okay. but, but only really existed in like the, the indie circuit. Okay. I love this guy. Casey Affleck is captivating in this movie. Yeah. He's captivating in such a desperate, sort of sympathetic, but also loathsome way. Kind of. I, I He's like, the way his performance is cute is as if he's like in love with Jesse. Yes. It's really weird yes. that they decided to take it to that direction, but it feels so oddly appropriate. It's just like... It, it, it's to me. There's so many just uncomfortable scenes with this character, just like reveling over this killer who's in front of him, and then, oh boy, I I, I love how how the one of, one of the interesting things about this movie for me personally is that it's it it takes someone who in most scripts would be the hero, you mm. know, who would, who would look at this character and be like, okay, I I loved him at first, but then I was dispirited by him, and I realized I had to kill him, and it, it, I was. I conquered the beast. Yes. I slayed the dragon. And instead of being absolutely loved by it, he's hated forever by it. Yes. Which is a fascinating <laughs> idea. It's an unbelievable story. I love that. And it's one of the things where it's like, you know what? Sometimes life produces the best fiction. Yes. And it's it's often greater than fiction. Like mm-hmm. it can teach you more than a made up allegory ever could. This is just an unbelievable story that I would, would have never thought to tell this way. As you said, there is a weird homoerotic thing yeah. going on, boiling under the surface. Casey Affleck is both in love with Brad Pitt. Uh, um, Casey Affleck, of course, is Robert Ford. Jesse James being Brad Pitt, he admires him, but in order, but it's more that he wants to be him, and he, the only way to become Jesse James is to kill Jesse James, mm-hmm. or so he thinks. And there's this weird relationship that the two explore. That involves jealousy, but also admiration and, you know, you're never quite able to pin down how the two feel about each other. And I just feel like you could watch them in a room together for four hours and you'd never get bored by it. That's what carries you through this movie. I agree. Which is why it's totally fine at two and a half hours long. I could have taken another half hour. I thought it was incredible. Oh, yeah. No, and that's the thing that does carry it more than anything. Like you said, just these characters being with each other. Although I will say it takes a while for them to be interacting with each other throughout most of the runtime. There's like a good chunk in like the like hour and a half mark, like 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 20 or so minutes before he actually kills Brad Pitt. Spoiler yeah. alert. In case <laughs> Literally didn't. in the title in the of the title. movie. Was it in the title? Oh, missed that. <laughs> Another thing that's great about this movie, it proves that spoilers don't matter. Yeah. 
You can enjoy this movie knowing exactly what's about to happen. <laughs> you know, that's an excellent point when, when people talk about like, like, oh, I like knowing that like the plot's more important. It's right. Like, no, it's this all, is evidence. It's execution. This is the only yes. evidence you need. <laughs> they tell you the ending of the movie <laughs> and you still adore it. Oh, boy. No, but the actual ending, though, like where, where uh, uh, Bob gets killed. I'm just like, oh, it's so perfect and heartbreaking. That whole like God. denouement. Mm-hmm. where the assassination happens. I think there's like another, what, 45 minutes? Oh, God, There's yeah. a long time yeah. where Ford becomes sort of this national hero, or at least he thinks he's a national hero, but the public starts to despise him, and they call him a coward. That's where the title comes from. Mm-hmm. He puts on this stage production, and it's just this story of a sad man who has become defined by this one thing. Yeah. And I love that... Although the movie is a Western and although it's set in the 1800s, those themes are so applicable today. Mm. That story is timeless. Well, it's letting your passion destroy you in sure. a lot of ways. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a common it's – com- it comes up a lot, I, I guess. I mean, that's kind of what uh, Whiplash was about in a What's lot what of, Damien in a lot Chazelle's whole filmography is all about, really. <laughs> you, yeah. still, you still need to see a, a Guy Madeline on a park bench. Right. But yeah, no, I, I – and this is why I, I'm kind of endlessly fascinated by Westerns is how malleable they actually are. Right. The fact that a story like this could still work today is very interesting. And just seeing someone like uh, – I, I love the opening when uh, it, it almost is a bit of a deconstruction, not just of the story but the Westerns in general where you get kind of the classic uh, gunslinger like Jesse James forced to do work with uh, – like like the, what did they say? Um, uh, petty – petty thieves and whatnot like people who just rob people on the streets or whatever like don't mean right. anything to him next to like this legend and he doesn't really have a choice he has to rob a train with them even though they're like 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 z-grade people to him right it's awesome and it's just he's like, the famous thief and they're like the bit players yeah. they're it's, it's like having literally brad pitt hang yeah. out with a bunch of movie extras yeah. <laughs> rather than exactly. sharing the scene with Angelina Jolie. It's, yeah, precisely. It's like, oh, that's where that's how westerns have sort of slowly aged and died. It's like, right. cuz that's what they've had to deal with. But I I and speaking about uh Brad Pitt. I I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I fucking love Brad Pitt in this movie. I do too. I think he's I think he gets n- no one remembers Brad Pitt in this he's movie. He's underrated in this movie. He is so perfect for this movie like it, it could be my best my favorite brad pitt performance he does this weird accent so the, a lot of people hold that against him i don't care um i i really don't either yeah there is something about casting brad pitt that i think is ingenious mm-hmm. as you said he's like the celebrity that is forced to hang out with the peasants yep and i think like a guy that looks like that is perfect mm-hmm. for that type of role He's just so charismatic and so funny, but also horrifying. Yeah. Like, there, it is so tense. The it's actual so... assassination scene Ooh, it's is great. one of the most incredibly acted, incredibly directed sequences I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, so there's, uh, there's a lot of plot stuff. I won't get into the specifics. But Brad Pitt learns that Casey Affleck has turned on him in some way. And that's when Casey is, uh, decides to pull the trigger and kill jesse james in his living room um and every character in the room including sam rockwell knows what's about to go down Mm -hmm. and the audience also knows what's coming because you've read the title (laughs) but there's this 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 tense palpable sort of feeling you get that sort of feeling where 
everybody in the room knows the secret, but nobody wants to say it out loud, oh, God, and no one yeah. wants to address the awkwardness. Mm-hmm. That's what that scene captures, but in the most horrifying way possible. Yeah. And it leaves you on the edge of your seat, even though you know exactly what the outcome is, is going to be. Mm-hmm. You're, it's still tense. This movie's a miracle, man. Yeah. I'll s- share one more thing. Um, one of the greatest observations from this season of Game of Thrones I heard on a podcast recently. Yeah. So you're on Greyjoy. You're, you're caught up with Game of Thrones. You haven't watched the earlier seasons, but you're watching now. You're on Greyjoy was sort of cast off as one of the worst characters this season. He's the guy that marries Cersei. Yeah. Um, and he gets into the fight with Jamie Lannister in episode five. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, Euron ends up killing Jamie Lannister or attempting stabbing Jamie Lannister yeah. and declares to himself as he's about to fade away, I'm the man that killed Jamie Lannister. Yep. And I was listening to a podcast about Game of Thrones and uh, the host said, when he saw that moment, he realized the better version of the Euron Greyjoy character, and that is the assassination of Jamie Lannister by the coward Euron Greyjoy. This sort of... Because before he was just like this cartoonish, uh, dragon-killing supervillain. But if you sort of retweak the character to make him in love with Jamie, yeah, and trying to kill Jamie because he wants to become Jamie, mm-hmm. there's an additional dimension to the character that you wouldn't get otherwise. I just think that's what makes the story so brilliant and not enough other stories adapt uh, a structure like this and don't attack characters in the way that this story attacks it. Mm -hmm. I I adore this movie. I think it's great. Yes, it's great. It's fantastic. I, I think agree. it's. I think it's a great movie, and I and I think yeah. it's like the forgotten great movie. Mm-hmm. It's one. Of, I agree with everything you just said. Yes, forgotten great great movie, especially. I mean, oh my god, nobody has seen this movie. Yeah. Nobody has seen this movie. No, nobody even cares to see this movie. That's the problem. I also think the critical reviews were sort of mixed. Yeah, I think this movie, by the way, has as a smaller uh, uh, per- percentage than Three Ten to Yuma on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. And I wonder I, if the narration did it for people, too. I don't have an issue with that narration. There, do I. there are times when narration can bug me. It depends. If it's just bad narration, that would be the other thing. But this is a, like a storybook. Yeah, and a lot of the cinematography for me uh, pushed that even further. I, I love the, the sort of uh, uh, shallow depth of field uh, shots or the ones that are kind of hazy that kind of give you that like uh, the 1800s picture quality which is kind of ever-present throughout the film. Again, it just kind of makes it feel more like a storybook. Yes. And that's the point. Because the story is a myth. Exactly. I, I, and people didn't get that, I guess. Is that, what's, is that what's going on? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of the few examples where the narration works for me. Um, you all need to see this movie if you haven't seen it, and I assume that you haven't because no one has. Yes. Honestly, dude, it could be the best movie of the year. I'm not even going to lie to you. It's, nah, it's, it's not quite there for me. Okay. Fair enough, but it's a it's a it's a worthy, worthy, worthy contender. I think I feel the exact same way about the movie coming up. Cool. It's called Zodiac. Yeah. It's directed by David Fincher, written by James Vanderbilt, based on the novel by Robert Graysmith, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, and John Carroll Lynch, mm-hmm. nominated for zero Academy Awards. That's because this was another movie. That was a flop at the box office. Cost $65 million to make. It's a lot of money for this movie, too. Only gross $33 million. Mm-hmm. 
it was supposed to be an Oscar contender, but they ended up burying it in February, which is the second worst time of the year to get released. It was never really considered a critical darling, but I think in recent years, after being viewed on on demand and on cable, after Fincher's reputation has grown as well. Sure. Everybody realized that Zodiac is one of the lost movies of the century. What say you, Adam? This is David Fincher's best movie. Yeah, you've said this before. Mm -hmm. You've said this before. Yep. Why? Oh, God. This this is a three-hour movie about... about, A lot of long movies this year. Yeah. Well, it's a three-hour movie about people sifting through files, Mm -hmm. essentially what this movie is, and talking to people nonstop. Uh, and, And... for those who thought it was going to be a movie about a serial killer, like stabbing everyone left and right. No, it's not really that. I mean, there's some brutal scenes, but again, for, for the length of the film, technically it's few and far between. Uh, and oh my God, I, I, I find this movie to be one of the most captivating film experiences I've ever had. There is, I, I've never, it's very, very rare that a movie, uh, a movie has such an effect on me that I have to go and read everything about this about this case afterwards. And it's funny that I'm, I'm not alone on that when I've talked to people about this movie and they're yeah. like, I have to read everything about the Zodiac. I did the same and thing. Everything that happened. I have to read about all these characters. And 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 here's the thing that can happen is that sometimes when you read up on the history of, of, of a movie or, or the true events that it's portraying, you can tend to be a little disappointed because it's not accurate to the source material or it's, or it's taking too many liberties. And, and I mean, that that's just the nature of film for you. But then when you actually read up on the story of Zodiac, you're, you're almost more shocked at how true it actually was yeah. and how much shit they had to deal with and how how real these people actually were and and how essentially all of these people were victimized without even coming into contact with the Zodiac. Yeah. It is so fascinating. Because it's another movie about obsession and yep. how obsession drives you mad. The yep. movie takes place over a number of years, right? What oh, is the God. actual period? Well, well, the first killings in that movie start in Vallejo at, at uh, 1969. It ends in like 1990, actually. Right. Yeah. yeah, when they when they finally show uh, the picture of Arthur Lee Allen to the guy who was shot through the neck. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it's one of the... It, it's, it's funny because I see this movie frequently, and every time I'm done watching it, I have to go and read up on it again. Yeah. It, it's like no no movie ever does that to me and i think too wasn't the case reopened after this movie came out yeah i think it was yeah i think it actually caused real investigators to look into it some more it happened after the the actual zodiac book was released too which is what it's based off right so yeah okay this was also i think one of two zodiac movies that came out around that time yeah and one of them was horrible yeah it was a movie with like the guy from gray's anatomy or something Mm, yeah one of the cast members and it was not well received um i think you're right on a number of counts it is among david fincher's best work and there's a lot of like this movie in mindhunter i think it's a little worse done in mindhunter than it is here but Mm -hmm. tonally they feel like two halves of the same coin sure this movie's very funny yeah incredible like the scene where downey and gyllenhaal are hanging out at the bar it's like my favorite scene in the movie and Gyllenhaal orders this tall... It's a blue drink. Neon blue like, drink with like an umbrella on the top. It's the gayest thing you've ever seen in your life. And Downey's like, what the hell are you drinking? And <laughs> and, and Gyllenhaal goes, it's an aqua velva. <laughs> like, you wouldn't knock it unless you'd had it. He takes a dainty sip out of it. One of my favorite exchanges is, hey, does anybody call me names around oh, the office? Oh, that's the best, the retard scene! You mean like retard? Yeah. 
No. <laughs> no, but that's after <laughs> the other dude in the police stations. Like, uh, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> does it bother you? What is? What does he say? That people call you old. I think. Some and and then the guy responds. Does it bother you that people call you retard? <laughs> Nobody calls me that. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> no, the movie is such a strange amalgamation of tones. I and, think it all works, and it works because it's Fincher. That's what Fincher does. He does great comedy with this dark, perverse drama. Yeah, I, I, I will always, I will always quote this. Fincher makes misery fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great. It's perfect. It's right. perfect for him. And this is real life misery, and it's amazing. Not only is it funny, it is horrifying. Oh God! But not yeah. horrifying because it's gory. No, horrifying because he plays with tension so well. Yeah, but I, it's it's the kind of scenes that you don't necessarily think would work, and the the one that you've cited before is the. The, the death on the on uh, by the river in the by island the pond yeah, yeah which uh, I I think is one of the scariest scenes of of the century right yeah. there are two <laughs> scenes in this movie that are often quoted mm-hmm. the first is the basement scene oh god the second is the river scene mm-hmm. I think the basement scene is more traditionally horrifying yes. in cinematic terms like that's Hitchcock yes I agree however the lake scene river scene whatever you want to call it is a type of horror I've never seen on screen before. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first Zodiac killings. They actually show it in mm-hmm. all of its glory. Um, the guy just dressed up as the Zodiac walks out from behind a tree as a couple is hanging out, having a picnic mm-hmm. in the middle of broad daylight and just kills them. He just kills them. And there's no score. There's no pageantry. There's there's no cinema going on here. No. It's just like a stark, bleak portrayal and it's one of the most realistic acts of violence I've ever seen on screen before. And it's one of the brilliant parts of this movie. Danger and horror are hiding in plain sight. You just can't see it. Yeah. Well, in it, it, the other thing that makes it work so well is that you don't know where it's going. Yes. Because it's at first it's kind of like it's so weird and so wrong that it, it there's instances where it is almost kind of funny. Yeah. Just the the absurdity of this fat man standing there with a the hood over his head with a gun. It's he's got like a cross, like the yeah, red cross. It's just like this is the most ridiculous. It looks like he made it at Joanne Fabrics that yeah. outfit like two minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. It's it's just like I I, I love the uh, uh, he's a sociology major. Well, pre law actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like oh well well this is just ridiculous and right and then it then they he hog ties him and you're like okay okay. And then he said, "This oh, I love this close-up, and I hate close-ups. Yeah. I love this. Was that thing even loaded? And he shows him the bullets and the gun, and I'm like, oh, God. Right. <laughs> There's something about that that one little detail that just makes it so real to me. Right. It, it, so that the moment for when he actually starts stabbing them for right. no good reason is just, oh, it's just it, 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 goosebumps. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I love it. It's just perfect. And again, that basement scene, Who who is involved? Who are the detectives in the house at the time? Uh well, well Gray Smith is is down there who's just the the uh not really a detective he's the the uh journalist who writes the comic strips okay yeah oh that's right the, it's just the, that's right it, it's it's just Gyllenhaal by himself yeah just Gyllenhaal and the guy who uh who made the posters for the movie theaters okay and he's like oh he, at at that point he thought that he was gonna be the the Zodiac killer right and yeah. so he's like yo check out the basement mm-hmm. and uh, Gyllenhaal runs out of the house yeah um again you never know what's in the basement. But the ambiguity is what's so horrifying. And that is the theme of the movie, that sometimes not solving the case is the scariest thing of them all. Scarier than the serial killer himself Mm -hmm. is the lack of closure, which I think is a brilliant theme. 
and I've said this to you before, and I will say it a million times again, is undermined by the ending. And that is the biggest flaw in this movie, that mm-hmm. Fincher is teasing you with a lack of closure, but then in the epilogue is just like, yeah, Arthur Allen is probably the Zodiac Killer, so there you go. He's dead now. You have to strongly emphasize probably, though, because even the closing text kind of say, like, maybe him, but then it ends with they, they disqualified all DNA counts, so it couldn't have been him. So even for me, at least with my experience, even after they identify him, I was still left like, oh, shit, wait a second. Was it really him? Yeah. I, I, I think they uh, I, I think they they what's the the word I'm looking for? They sort of uh, they hedge their bets. I guess what they do. Kind of. They they sort of disqualify that for me just enough for me to be like, OK, after I'm 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 I'm, I'm out of this film, I'm still curious as to what the fuck was really going on. But I think the other point of the movie that it's trying to make is that, I mean, it makes it makes it very clear that it's not going to actually be able to answer the question definitively, but it's going to give you the case as it is and just be like, this is probably what was going on. Kind of take it or leave it. That's up to you. That feels weak to me. I don't mind it, though. That I mean, feels like they're hedging. But it's like, how? what, what are you going to say? Just that it, it say that we don't know. But they do. But, but, but say, say it. But say it strongly. But eh, I mean, to me, they kind of do. I mean, again, the, if you actually understand the case. The, the fact of the matter is that what, what's more fascinating than anything to me in a lot of ways is how Arthur Leon was not able to get convicted. Right. Because we actually read yeah, about... Yeah, but that's a different story now. Mm, I think it's pretty similar. I mean, the story Arthur Lee Allen got away with it is very different than we never found the guy in the first place. Yes. Like, one is far more scary than the other. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you want to tell that story, if you want to be more... Um, loyal to the to the actual facts of the case, I'm cool with it because it is though it's incredibly yeah, loyal. I'm with you. I I just think you're undermining your own artistic statement in some ways. Uh, I don't know how you get around that though. It's like how do you, how do you how do you tell that without addressing the fact that they were sort of sold on it by the end of it all that it was Arthur Leon. Then just it's a different story. They then, just couldn't man. prove it. No, but but, it, but, but it, then it's a different story. I don't care. It still plays perfectly fine to me in that way. I mean, the entire point of the film is not necessarily like we got to get that guy. We just got to, you know, accept it. For, uh, we, we have to satisfy ourselves that it is that guy. That's why I give him that final look at the very end where he's like, I need to look him in the eyes and I have to know that it's him more than anything. And that's what he was doing when he comes into the hardware store at the end. He knows he can't arrest the guy on the spot. He just needs to have have closure for his own okay, psyche so at that point. Again, then it's a movie about closure that that's the flaw. Yeah. Is that the movie portends to be about the lack of closure? It's about finding some closure. But the script can't help itself, man. The script demands that these characters get closure. Yeah, it's about well it's about the characters in, in uh more specifically only really uh Jake Gyllenhaal finding closure. I mean, it's about it's Robert Graysmith's story really in the end. I mean, he's the guy who wrote the thing. Yeah. Um, so to, to me, it's perfectly fine. I, I can't really dock the film for that because I, I, I don't know. It, if you're asking me for, e- even if it's maybe trying to have its cake and eat it too. Yeah. It, I mean, the, the, there's plenty of instances where movies do that and it just feels right to me. And this is one of those occasions. You know, I, I, I always cite like La La Land as a perfect example of that. Yeah. With the ending of that. It's like, yeah, you know, it's trying to go for two very different things. But, you know, they... they even if they're saying two opposite things, it, it, I, I can I can get as much out of both ideas. Mm. So I don't know. I, I want It works for me. I want to call attention to this dynamite cast. I think we're going to look back in years and be like, "Whoa, this was the movie with all the movie stars before they were movie stars." You know, this was early on in Jake Gyllenhaal's career. 
early on in Ruffalo's career and the beginning, I guess, of the Downey comeback, right? Maybe, yeah. I guess he did Good Night and Good Luck. Um, but, Gothica. Okay. So this is what you can sort of look at as a, um, as the beginning of, of a new wave of movie star. All three of them are incredible in this. And John Carroll Lynch is also awesome in a supporting role as Arthur Lee Allen. I uh, I am with you 100%. This movie gives me chills. It's an awesome... Um, it's an awesome act of tone. Mm-hmm. It's an awesome deconstruction of myth, similar to Assassination of Jesse James. Yeah. And um, underrated, because no one has seen it. Yeah. And it's people, sort of sad. People have started to see it, I will say. Yeah. But I just think it's brilliant storytelling. Yeah. I don't think you get much better than this. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is another one of those movies that, for me personally, comes about as close to perfect as you could get. I think I only put Seven and Social Network ahead of it. In the Fincher rankings. It's close for me. I can be talked out of it, though. Mm. I, I can be. I think this movie works completely. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Uh, Not really. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay with that. All right. Let's move on. Yeah, we're going to go long today. And we have places to be. What's the time? Uh, it's almost... Eh, we'll be okay. Yeah, it's almost 6.45. Okay. Uh, Two more. Next, let's go to There Will Be Blood. Mm -hmm. Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Based on the novel Oil! By Upton Sinclair. Got to include the exclamation point there. Like, mother! Mother! (laughs) Well done. Starring Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dano. Mm -hmm. Won Best Lead Actor and Best Cinematography. Beating Roger Deakins at the Oscars. Correct. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Editing, Best Art Direction, and Best Sound Editing. The New York Times recently named it the number one movie of the 21st century. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's about as good as it can get. Glowing praise. This is a movie that completely eviscerated me (laughs) the first time I saw it. But I knew it was going to. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if the evisceration from this movie was the same that I got from Zodiac and Assassination of Jesse James. Because the other two were like, whoa, that's awesome. And There Will Be Blood was like, whoa, everybody was right. Oh, yeah. This movie's a marvel. Mm-hmm. How about your experience? Oh, God. I mean, I saw this movie, I think, when it came out. Oh, really? And I, and I... Man, that would have been too early for me. I don't I I don't remember what I thought of it at the time though cuz I think I not not so much when it came out rather but when it was finally released on like DVD and whatnot and we like rented it. Okay. And I remember thinking like this there's a lot there's a lot wrong with this and I remember thinking like this movie's boring as fuck and cuz I was young and um I remember thinking like yeah no this is this is a movie about like like people getting oil out of the ground there's nothing fun about that. This movie is is, is doesn't have enough death. Or, or not enough death. Not, a, not enough. Not action. enough people getting crushed by oil rigs that's, for you. That, that's right. Yeah. Not enough people dying in fires. Yeah, that's correct. Not, not enough of that, man. <laughs> not enough skull trauma in yeah. bowling alleys. Yeah. What do you mean, not enough death? <laughs> not enough death, man. Thirteen-year-old Adam Hall. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I need. I need more crazy shit happening, like in my superhero films and whatnot. Oh, I, Jesus! I, I need more people being eaten by dinosaurs, so on and so forth. <laughs> And then I saw it, uh, when did I see this after that? It must have been like, I probably saw it uh, like freshman year of high school. Okay. 
thinking it's the best movie ever made. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's everyone's take after seeing it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a fascinating uh, char- character study and uh, sort of a deconstruction of the American dream in the most bleak way you could possibly imagine. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis is this is maybe the best performance I've ever seen by an actor. Uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's direction is absolutely horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> and it's got one of the well, oh my god, this movie has one of my favorite endings I think in all of cinema. Yeah, yeah, I think if you're of a certain age, that is your default reaction. That's definitely what mine was because I was at that perfect age where I was just developing my love of film. And I was just starting to learn what a director could do and what an actor could do. Mm-hmm. And again, I had never seen anything like it. And it was just perfect on every level. Yeah. It's, oh, my God. The atmosphere in this movie and the music by uh, Johnny Greenwood. So Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood, oh. the lead guitarist, scored this thing. Yeah. And it's like this unbelievable score. Yeah. Like shockingly good, too. In in Ooh. a weird way, because it's so off kilter and... Mm. It's just a lot of like, <laughs> like it's a lot of just like violin sounds mm-hmm. because Johnny Greenwood is just experimenting. That's sort of his uh, mo, but it works entirely well. I agree, and it's uh, you're a big Radiohead fan, aren't you? Oh God, yeah, I'm a big Radiohead. Not, so, may, may, I don't, I'm not as big as you think. Like I love them, but I feel like we don't talk about Radiohead enough on this podcast. Tom York scored uh, Suspiria, by the way. Oh, word. And his score of that movie is fucking awesome. Oh, dude, I got to check it out. You're not going to like it. It's okay. I'm, but I'll like the score, I'm sure. The score's so weird. But oh, it's, yeah? It's so good. Yeah, it's really good. Dude, we both really like Radiohead. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. No, I love the music. In the... What's your favorite Radiohead track? Like, just song, you mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm constantly at odds with a song called There, There. Okay. And what record is that on? Do you remember? The Benz. Okay. Is it Benz? Ooh, what is it off? It's either that or Fake Plastic Trees. Yeah, I think I think it's either Fake Plastic Trees or a song called Let Down. Okay. Which is on OK Computer. Okay. What's the best Radiohead album? Do you go OK Computer? Well, here's my take. The Benz has the best songs, but OK Computer is the best album. What do you mean? Well, like, the Benz works well as, like, a bunch of, like, individual rock anthems. Sure. It's just, like, ten great pop songs. Yeah. And OK Computer as a statement is, like, this mind-boggling, experimental, sonic thing. All right, all right. That's why. You find it more admirable in that way. Yeah, I just think as an album. Like, I could listen to that thing front to back, and it's just it's stunning. Because I just look at the albums, like, what is is there an album where it's, like, I don't skip a single song, you know? Right. Which is why I hate it when people say never mind is not as good as like uh in utero i'm just, I'm just like <laughs> what like, what the fuck are you talking Who about says that lots of people a lot of it's people have turned on never mind really yeah is that a thing happening I, and i i will be the nirvana uh, uh authority here and with my nirvana friends or people who claim to be nirvana friends anyway they they don't really like Nevermind. And I don't understand why. Because it's popular? Because it's one of the greatest things. I didn't things. know that there, there was like an underbelly of Nirvana fan. I, I'm actually somewhat shocked by the amount of people I come across that say, yeah, like, oh, Nevermind's good. But, I mean, come on. Like, Bleach is better. I'm like, what? The, what? 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 <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> Bleach is better? I mean, I, lo- I love Bleach. But it, it, it's, no. 
It's not even it's not even worth discussion. We need to find these menaces. I didn't know that this was a movement that was happening. Yes, it is. I didn't realize that. I will completely stand with you in saying that Smells Like Teen Spirit is not their best. Yeah. I will completely be there with you because it's absolutely true that it's not their best. However, I mean, it's it's just it's just fact, man. If you just look at the way that album is it's just structured with its songs. Like if I want No, to- it's just a collection of better individual yes, songs. Yes. It, that it, that's all it is. Oh my and if God. you define an album as a collection of songs, which you don't have to, but if that's the way you define it, I don't think. I think even as a statement, yeah, it's just better. I think you're right. I, I think it. I mean, it has the the best of Nirvana. It has the even some of their best attitude. I mean, it, people say it's not aggressive, and it has their most aggressive song in it. Right. And I'm like, what? Are you, what the fuck are you talking? About? I don't know. Not aggressive. What they say it was too poppy. I, they might have. Yeah. But people, no one knows of Endless Nameless because they don't listen to it all the way through. Sure. And I'm like, well, you listen like 14 minutes after you're done with something in the way and you'll be, you know, like you'll have your head explode. They just hear the hits. Yeah. Oh, I don't like that, man. We need to track these people down. Have you heard something in the way, by the way? Uh, I'm sure I have. I mean, I've listened to that record a couple times. Fucking love something in the way. Okay. Anyway, Johnny Greenwood score. Yes. Very. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> it's very good. In fact, it's fantastic. It's it, it's a uh, it's weird and it, it it's it gives you a lot of anxiety because it doesn't know when to stop, but that's yeah. kind of why it works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's just perfect. I kind of agree with you. I think this is one of the five best performances in the history of cinema. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know. What else would you put up there? Best performance. Brando and on the waterfront. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Al Pacino in uh, scent of a woman. Stop. <laughs> Now, Pacino and Dog Day Afternoon, I yeah. put up there. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. That's his best. Potentially. Wow. Yeah. Could Hoffman be. and The Graduate. De Niro and Raging Bull. And Definitely De Niro and Raging Bull. Uh, Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood. I think that's no, the list. There's got, there's got to be another one that's like, that, come on. I think that's the Mount Rushmore. Come on, man. That's it. There's got to be another one. I'm sure there are. I can't think of it, though. There's got to be. Nothing else is coming to mind. <laughs> That's the problem. There's got to be. You know, I will say this. I love Casey Affleck so much in Manchester by the Sea. I don't know if it's that no, good. It's not, but he's but, awesome. Oh, You're right. I, that's one of the better, like, recent performances that's come along in a long time. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, He's weirdly overacting in it. And actually, him and Paul Dano are both overacting. I'm fine with it with uh, Daniel Plainview. Yeah. Just because he's crazy. Yeah. And he's he's so power hungry and money hungry that but so like 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 believably so yes that it just works for me yeah. on, on on every level just I I love how the film starts out too with him just as this just nothing of a man struggling to dig his way out of a, an oil well right you just feel like you you would have scooped him off the street and then he just be, it's like take take the shittiest drug dealing human being I mean I'm not saying he's drug dealing but yeah say I I'd scoop a drug dealer off the street and ask him to make a profitable business and somehow he gets there yeah this is kind of what what that person would feel like to me right well i also i i don't mind it with either performance i actually think both are tremendous i'm so, i have some reservations for paul dano okay that's if i'm to criticize anything about the film there are just there's a couple moments where i'm like Whoa, paul dano like and i've rewatched the film many times and like every time he delivers like say like this one line i'm like and like no like get out go stop just like no, no, it just didn't work for me there. Are you talking about this scene right here? Yes. Get out, ghost! <laughs> what do you want me to say? God, I love this. Oh, Daniel, 
You've come here and you've brought good and wealth, but you have also brought your bad habits as a backslider. You've lusted after women and you have abandoned your child. Your child that you raised, you have abandoned all because he was sick and you have sinned. So say it now. I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. Say it louder. I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. Louder, Daniel. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I am sorry, Lord. I am sorry, Lord. I want the blood. I want the blood. You have abandoned the your blood. child. With a bloody lie. I've abandoned my child. I will never backslide. I will never backslide. I was lost, but now I am found. I was lost, but now I'm found. I have abandoned my child. <laughs> say it. Say it. I've abandoned my child. Say it louder. Say it louder. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my boy. Beg for the blood. Give me the bloody light. Let me get out of here. Give me the blood, Lord, and let me get away. Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Get out of here, devil! Out, devil! Out, sin! Give me the blood, Lord. Give me the blood. That is, like, the most hilarious... Like disturbing, like what is this scene? Well, exactly. It's it's such a weird clash of tone, and but again, and normally that would really bother me. Yeah, but there's something about the the, the shift in emotion where it's like I don't know. It made me realize, like I guess I've been there before. Yeah, where I've been just in this strange situation where someone may have been bitching at me, and it can be really scary and really uncomfortable. But at the same time, them bitching at you can just be funny. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Man? Like chill the fuck out. Like that kind of a thing. Like, who dreams this up? Yeah. Like, literally only Paul Thomas Anderson can dream up a scene, which is why I think he's the best director we've had in the last 20 years. And I'll, I'll ride for that. I've made that argument before. No one makes a movie quite like him. No one dreams up a scene quite like him and, frankly, executes the scene like him. Sure. Um, it, it's just amazing. I don't mind that both of them are overacting because, oddly, I see both of these characters as frauds. Well, and that's yes. part of it, right? I well, I was going to say I don't know if I I can call it overacting in good conscience because it's so applicable to their characters. Right? It's only overacting if it just doesn't if it doesn't feel authentic to me. Yes. If it, you know, and that's the biggest problem with Nicolas Cage, where it's like I don't even know what this person's doing. Right. Where it's like I see uh, Daniel Daniel Day Lewis, I'm like I I just get it. Mm-hmm. I just understand this person entirely. It's like I couldn't imagine him acting any other way. Right. That's all you want. The movie is sort of about how both of these men have a false bill of goods that they're selling. Yeah. One religious and one its own form of religion, American capitalism. Mm-hmm. And they're both going around uh, attempting to uh, to sell their lie to America. Mm-hmm. And uh, you sort of go back and forth on which one is worse. And I think, you know, it's a cynical worldview, but it's incredibly told. Yeah. And I bought it hook, line, and sinker in this case. That's all you want. Yeah. The ending is, you know, amazing. Iconic. Oh. I drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. It's great shit. I'm finished. I'm finished. <laughs> I love You're just afterbirth, Eli. Slithered out under mother's filth. They should have put you in a glass jar on the mantelpiece. Dude. Incredible. Incredible. How do you not love this movie? I don't know. How do you not feel like you've been hit by a wrecking ball after this movie? There are some people who would watch it and call it slow. Let's be honest. Okay. 
Sure. But like, I don't know, man. Falling off a cliff might feel slow because your life is flashing before. Like, I don't know, man. Like, when you hit the ground, it hurts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I know. That's no, the sensation you get in a car crash. No. It feels like life is slowing down. <laughs> it's an experience. It's horrifying. Yeah. You know, it's not meant to be frenetic. No, but that's they, the movie. But they don't care, Nico. Stuff's going on. They don't care. Just Nico. look for they it. They don't care, Nico. They don't give a fuck. They just want fast shit happening. It's perfect. It's yes, a perfect it's movie. A, yes. It's like, what do you want? What do you want? It, it's hard. <sighs> Think I don't have the, any criticisms. I really don't. No, this is the thing about talking about any movies like this. It's like, I. What do you want me to say? It's. Do you want me to just start the conversation? By I don't saying, want you to say anything. E- everything's great. It's like it is, and that's where it stops. It's like, <laughs> so what do we need to discuss? It's like, yeah. No, there's nothing to discuss. It's great. It's iconic, and it's going to be in the running at the end of the day. Yeah, that's and, it. And the problem is, we have another movie like that. Oh boy. No country for old men. Uh huh. And in my opinion, best directors. We've had in the last 20 years. You said that about PTA. I'll say that about these guys. Sure. I mean, my favorite directors. Yes. The Coen brothers. You know, and this is something we could agree with. Could be my favorite directors as well. Yeah. Yeah, we agree on a lot of things. These directors are so Adam Hall, it's not even funny. And I feel like they're so Nico DiGregorio. It's Isn't that amazing? Funny. <laughs> and I feel like we have nothing in common. <laughs> but maybe that is like the, the broad appeal of the Coens. They make... Here's the thing about the Coens. They make so- stories that are so specific to them, mm. and the material they they pick, it, it's almost beyond reproach. Yes, you know, like there's, it's impossible to hate these movies. It's impossible to hate how they're told. Even though my brother doesn't really care for them, and he doesn't like really this movie. He just watched it for the first time. He thought Did- it was overrated. Ooh, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I th- it was kind of bizarre. Um, it's just like such a small story. Mm-hmm. That allows itself to be small, but then in that way feels big. Yes. You know? Um, and that's why, again, it will be in the running. Based on the novel by Cormac McCarthy of the same name, starring Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Tommy Lee Jones, Woody Harrelson, Kelly McDonald. As I said at the top of the program, won Best Picture at the Academy Awards, mm-hmm. along with Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay. Also nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Sound Editing. Um, what is there really to say? I've seen this movie more than any other movie on the list. Me too. I watch it every time it's on. Mm-hmm. It's like my baby. Yeah. It's a endlessly entertaining, endlessly profound. I yes. think you can just draw a lot from the source material. An incredibly directed mm-hmm. piece of art. And... Um, yeah, I think it's probably the Coen's second best movie at the worst and number one at the best. I don't think you can really That's get it out of your that. top two. Honestly, yeah. I, I completely agree. Right. I think maybe only Fargo is even in the question. It's their scariest movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> there uh, are a million scenes we can reference. I, I, don't, I, this is the, I don't know what to say about this movie. I really don't. What do you What do you want me to talk about? Well, it's sort of just like a part of you at this point, isn't it? Me? Oh God, this is one of like my top ten. Right. I fucking adore everything about this movie, and this is one where I knew as soon as I saw it. Yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I can't. Me I, too. I can't think of anything that will ever top this. This is about as close to perfection as movies come. Me too. I actually cite this one more than I think any other film when I'm talking about like perfect movies. Yeah. I'm like, there's like Alien, and then there's this. Yeah. This maybe even more so. <laughs> um. 
a million scenes. You have the motel scene where oh, Anton Shakur is chasing after Brolin with he, the with the fo- the footsteps and the light underneath the door. Right, and there's almost no sound whatsoever. And there's that, very little score in the movie. Period. There's almost I don't think there's any aside from at the very end of the the gas station scene. Yeah, and that the credits, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very quiet movie in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, initial scene where the uh, the the robbery has gone wrong or the drug deal has gone wrong, I should say. The scene uh, after the motel when they're in the hotel mm-hmm. and he's running through the streets and the he gets in the guy's truck and the guy gets shot in the head. Oh god! <laughs> drives off the road it's just out of nowhere. The count cat and mouse shit is like Ugh. somehow uh, the Cohen. This is a testament to how great the Coens are. They're not only better at doing comedy. Then, uh, like the Fairley brothers, they're also better at doing cat and mouse than Michael Mann. Yeah. And it's like impossible to do either. And somehow they're better at both. What is that? I don't know. <laughs> Who are these guys? I will say that this is the, maybe the better, best example of a cat and mouse story I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I, I want to say about that movie, and I've heard a lot of people criticize this movie in, in, in this they don't really criticize it, but they always don't like, I wish it was funnier. And, and I'm like, there are plenty of scenes that I, I will laugh at if I'm yeah. being completely honest with you. I wonder if I only laugh, though, because I've seen it many times. No, like there are scenes where I've been I've just been like, <laughs> that, that's 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 a funny thing to say in, in this situation. Like, like, give me that beer, too. How right. much? It's just like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, there are yeah. maybe if it's not like laugh out loud humor, there's a lot of quirkiness. It's levity. It's just levity. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I, in, in, a, in a movie like this, that's perfectly appropriate. Yeah. I'll ask you again, how'd you come to not have any shoes or something like that? He's like, well, I got the what, what's that? I love that exchange when he's at the border and he's trying to talk to the officer. He's like, don't jerk me, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. The the coin flip scene, oh. I think, is a better version of the basement scene in Zodiac. You know, both are sort of dealing with similar things. Everybody sort of, or maybe here's what I'll say. I'll say it's similar to the assassination scene in assassination of Jesse James. It's like both men know what's going on here. Neither of them are really going to say it. And uh, it's just the payoff that's different. You get everything you need to get out of it without the violence. Like Uh you don't need the convenience store guy to get shot in order to for you to understand how evil Anton Shakur is. Oh yeah, and that's just good filmmaking. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of that is his is his performance, but you know, it's funny that this film holds on the the weird uncomfortable de- details. Like if I'm if it's another example where if I'm shutting all the audio off, I have a pretty good idea of how much tension is actually in the yes. scene. And one of my again, if something I never praise close-ups, but this film has a brilliant use of that with the just the rapper. Yeah. on the counter and just the guy just looking at it and as it just slowly unfolds itself and the fact that he, he, he can't focus on anything it's just these little things are just irritating him at the moment because this guy is so scary right I remember when I first saw this and you get to the scene where he hijacks the dude's car and he has the air gun and I'm just like what the fuck is he gonna do yeah what's he, happening and then he bolts that guy in the head that was so I remember it's, it, it's I just found it so disturbing yeah, it's just so wrong and and sudden in every way, and it's just it's like no one would ever think to do that. Yeah, Only, why are you carrying an oxygen? It, tank? It's like what is this man? It's yes, just, it just oh, and that's what I always say about like some of the best horror is that horror to me is just the unnatural. Yeah, just finding unease or 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 tension or terror and just the unnatural. Yeah, and something like that is just it's one of my favorite examples, and it's not even a horror movie, right? Yeah, but there are certainly horrifying elements. Um, I agree. 
Javier Bardem is, as I said earlier, the embodiment of death. Mm-hmm. And it's about the man's ability to outrun death or at least to put it off another day. Yep. But ultimately, he's going to catch you. Yep. And it's not always fair. That's sort of what the movie is about. And it's a, a lot of the Coen Brothers filmography is about this. Yep. Life is unexplainable. It often feels pointless. It often feels unfair. Um, they sell that idea and they make it sound profound Benny, better than any filmmakers ever have. Yep. You know, they they use this metaphor. Anton Shakur, he's going to keep chasing you. You think you've outrun him. There he is. He's got a tracker in the suitcase and he found you at the hotel. Oh, I injured him. I got a shot out, out on him. <laughs> eh, who cares? Mm-hmm. He'll be around the corner the next day. Oh, he gave you a 50-50 chance. That's the best he can do. <laughs> because all life can do is give you a chance. Yep. Maybe you lose. Maybe you're on the wrong side of the coin toss and you die too early. Sorry, that's the best. But it, it's so it's even more bleak when uh, they illustrate those points through Tommy Lee Jones's character. Right. Because you have to understand as well that this is very much a movie about it coming to terms with growing old. Sure. Hence the title, but hence Cormac McCarthy's novel and even the Cohen's own reading of the film where they're just they're, they're just they, come they, up on the mic. Well, they, I'm, I'm right here. Yeah, I can hear you. You're, you sounded a little faint. I sounded faint. Yeah. I sounded faint. You sounded like a mouse. Mm, like a little mouse. <laughs> Anyway, it's going to be in my nightmares today. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> Think of a little mouse Adam crawling around your oh. Think of it like like crawling up up your leg in, in in your bed right now. Are you implying if you were a mouse you would get into my asshole? Well, yeah, of course. Okay. That's always what I want. I've always wanted to be I'm not going to finish that shit. <laughs> it's quite comfy in there. I'll say that. <laughs> oh, you, you you would know. <laughs> I reupholstered it. Okay. <laughs> oh, thank you, Nico. See? See what a guy. This is why we love Nico, because he reupholsters his asshole. Tommy Lee Jones. What were you saying? <laughs> a, a, a lot of the, the, a lot of for what this makes this film work for me is just how how the entire story is viewed through Tommy Lee Jones's character. Well, not and really how, though, because he, re- he really comes in like halfway through. Well, right? it's it's how he reflects on it. Yeah. Throughout the entire scene, like we are very much supposed to uh, experience it through him or reflect on it with him, which is why it keeps bouncing back and forth with him and why it ends with him. And I love that that notion at the very end where uh, he's having a dream about like a cold, dark world and uh, and and everything could that could possibly be going wrong for him is going wrong for him. But there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's in, in the case of the dream, it's his dad lighting a fire for him in the wilderness. And at the end of it all, you know, he he'll he will make it to, to that fire despite all of his hardship and everything's going to go. Everything's going to be OK. Uh, but then he wakes up. Right. It's like, oh, yeah. way to just pull the fucking rug out from under you and just be like, no, this is the way it actually it's is. It's a deeply cynical. Oh, movie. God, it's so cynical. But it's like, yeah, I for some lifestyles that you, you can't ignore that. That's an that's an absolute truth. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent true. It's, and then so it's that ending um, with him staring out the kitchen window mm-hmm. juxtaposed with Javier getting hit by the car. Yep. Bone hanging out of his arm. <laughs> Got a bone sticking out your arm. Another horrifying detail in this movie. Just a little <laughs> minor detail. Uh, but he still fixes it. Makes a makeshift cast. And he limps away. Yep. Can't kill death. Nope. You can only say not today. That's the theme of the movie. Yep. And also, no country for old guys. Yeah. It's that's a young true. person's world. Yep. Try, you know, trying to accept the fact that you're you're growing old and that you're you're, you know... 
you're not ready to handle the, the, the world as it is now. And it's a scary thought. Yeah. Um, I love Woody Harrelson in this. <laughs> oh, I, that's so true. Yeah. I was thinking about him the other day when I was thinking about the movie just for the podcast. I'm just like, shit, he is in this movie and he's really fucking good. When he's talking to Steven Root, you know, yeah. you're missing a floor. What does he say? <laughs> like there's a... Uh, I, I counted the, the levels from the outside and well, there's one missing. One missing. And Steven Root, we'll look into it. We'll look into it. Great <laughs> Coen Brothers line. <laughs> I love... <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Steven Root is awesome, by the way. Of course. I love like the 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 exchange, like the the casualness that at, at, when he's talking about Anton uh, Shakur, and he's just like, as, you know, as bad as what, like the bubonic plague, bad enough that you called me. He's a psychopathic killer, but so what? <laughs> <laughs> it feels very Cohen's. Yes. Um, even though it's uh, stuff that they had never really attempted until this movie, mm-hmm. and I guess. That is a testament to the fact that they are absolute geniuses. Yes. One little thing. When directors Joel and Ethan Cohen approached Javier Bardem about playing Shakur, he said, quote, I don't drive, I speak bad English, and I hate violence. The Coens responded, that's why we called you. (laughs) (laughs) What a great, great story. So Coens. The one complaint that you have? Again, I think it's a perfect movie. I do think Shakur is a little too dominant. And I don't necessarily know a lot about these characters. Other than Josh Brolin is kind of greedy. Kelly McDonald is just the wife. And uh, Tommy Lee Jones is just the old guy. Yeah. And they're not as well-crafted as some of my other favorite Coen Brothers characters. Sure. Anton is so dominant, mm-hmm. even though he's a bit one-dimensional, too. I don't love it as much as a character study as I do just a nice allegory for the nature of death. Yes. But again, it, for, for what makes it for me, this is a similar reason why I love Mad Max so much, is that even if you don't necessarily know as much about your characters, m- make me really get invested in their struggle through the struggle, let make me, just, me care what yeah. make me care about what happens to them. Yeah, yeah. Through their actions, that's all I care about, and you, you you can't help but just like feel so sorry for everyone in this movie. Yeah, entirely. Uh, brilliant movie. Brilliant. I'll watch it another hundred times before I die. Yep, me too. Okay. Time to get to it, man. We talked a long time. Yeah, we did. Uh, so we eliminated Michael Clayton and Three Ten to Yuma, mm-hmm. obviously. So these are the four movies we are left with. Mm-hmm. I want us to keep an open mind. However, the rules for this game, the stupid rules we made up, or that the three qualities we're looking for are quality, legacy, and impact. Yeah. Right? Zodiac and Assassination of Jesse James, because they are flops, do not embody the last two qualities they're not very impactful and they don't have a tremendous legacy maybe zodiac has a better legacy i i, I wouldn't say yeah yeah i would i would say yeah i, I might well yeah legacy there but I, I would say that zodiac's legacy has grown impact i mean again we're at a point in in time right now where impact as far as like cinematic impact you don't really see much of that at this point. Well, I disagree. I think I it. Mean, I think it happened. I just think we have to get a little further away from it. No, I to know. be able to tell. That's my point, though. It's like it's hard to really judge impact at this point in time. I do think there will be blood had a tremendous impact, though. Yeah, I would even say No Country for Old Men to a certain extent. Yeah, 
But I would say for legacy, I would probably put Zodiac over Assassination of Jesse James because, I mean, like not a lot of people have seen Zodiac. Nobody has seen Jesse James. Yeah. Nobody. Okay, I, I agree. Um, I think it's sort of a bummer because I think like yeah. we have an interesting opportunity to m- make one of those two movies the winner. Um, but I don't I don't think that's what this podcast is about. No, unfortunately, it's it sucks. It's, it does suck. Man. I love Zodiac more than most things. I yeah. love and I love the- Assassin of Jesse James more than most things. I, I, I'm serious, Adam. I'm really serious when I say I think Assassination could be the best movie on the list. I don't know about that. I'm really... I, I, it's just what I feel in my heart. Yeah. Like, that movie hit me like a ton of bricks, man. And that's... A, yeah, though, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. But this is the problem is that I, we're talking about four phenomenal, phenomenal films. Like, to me, this is about as good as filmmaking can get. With, yeah. With all four of them. I would, I, I'm not, I'm not going to discredit a single one of them. I, it, for, it's weird. It's different with me because... I might put Zodiac above Jesse James, if not equal, but I, I don't know if it touches those other two. I don't know if either of them touch those other yeah. two. Yeah, well, I certainly think that history has done a little bit of the work for us. Yes, I agree. Right. And the box office, unfortunately, has done a lot of the work for us. I will say that when I first saw Zodiac, I might have been that much more impressed because it was such a like, wh- yeah, where did this no, come from? that's what I said earlier. Yeah, it's same like, with assassination. Yeah, exactly. It's like I didn't even know this was a thing. Like, because I remember when the trailers were coming out for like something like Zodiac and Jesse James, it just looked bad. Right. I remember like the Zodiac trailer it was like, it's just going to be a stupid serial killer movie. It's going to be like the the Black Dahlia. Yeah. I remember like seeing looking at that and just thinking it was the, the, a terrible idea and the movie was going to suck. And Black Dahlia is not that good. But I had the same thought with Zodiac. I was like, yeah, it feels like the exact same thing. And then I see it years later. I'm like, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. So it's um, like, fuck. All right. So, all right. We'll cross them both off then. <sighs> we have to. Goodbye. Sorry. Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. You'll get there eventually, uh, uh, Fincher. And Zodiac. I'll make sure of it. <laughs> Listen, it is possible that we're doing this podcast 10 years from now. And Zodiac has just become this sensation, this cult sensation. Yeah. You never know, but not yet. No. All right. We have two monumental movies here. <laughs> I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Oscars weighed in. Yeah. The Oscars said no country was better. Mm-hmm. New York Times and other critics have weighed in since. They say there will be blood is better. It's one of the eternal struggles in the history of movies and these movies like will forever live in my head because they came out at the same time and uh, this debate seems to pop up all the time mm-hmm. we have to come to some sort of conclusion what do you think were you thinking about this this week okay because I was too. yeah yeah tell me what you meditated on a lot I mean <sighs> I mean, I guess a lot of it just came down to I, I kept asking myself which is more admirable, but I ended up saying they're kind of equally admirable. I can't tell you the answer to that. I mean, which has the the better performances? Maybe there will be blood, but I'm somewhat critical. No, of, they're better performances. I guess, but I uh, they're harder performances. Sure, yes, yes, that's accurate. So we're grading level of difficulty. Yeah, in that way, I suppose. Do I enjoy the performances as much? I only enjoy one performance and there will be blood more if I'm being completely honest. It's not it, – it, honestly, if I'm if I'm adding those up, if I'm adding up all the performances in No Country for Old Men versus that one performance in uh, There Will Be Blood, it's pretty close. 
Right. It's a it's it's a hard balance. And then I was like, I don't know, like like direction. I don't I don't know how you judge that. Writing, I don't know how you judge that. Cinematography, I I, I would go No Country for Old Men. <laughs> that's about it. But again, it's not enough for me to say this is better than this movie. Yeah, it's almost like we have to find the one like, point where one movie passes the other. I just came down to, the, and we've talked about this before, uh, like a long time ago, is that I will rewatch No Country a thousand times over. I will watch There Will Be Blood maybe 50 of those thousand times. I mean, but I'll watch Taken more than both of them. So, like, that's but not for, a tiebreaker. For a movie like this, though? Is it, though? I think so. I mean, there are plenty of great movies that I don't want to watch again. Yeah, I know. Like, Schindler's List is not a rewatchable movie. Yeah. And I almost think, like, that's different than what we're judging here. I think this is like judging Schindler's List in, like, I don't know, like The Deer Hunter. Right. <laughs> you know, I would much rather watch Schindler's List over The Deer Hunter, for example. Yeah, but but no, that's not really what we're judging. Because No Country is a fun movie. Yeah. Like, the movie has, I know it's bleak, but it's wildly entertaining. Yeah, but I feel, I feel that similar, if I were to, if I were to watch both of those movies back to back, I would be like, I, I at least found uh, 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 Schindler's List a little more entertaining, a little more fulfilling and, and moving and satisfying. And even though I will acknowledge like this other movie is, is all parts moving and, and satisfying in many ways, it's just hard to, to get through, you know? Right. It's like that. So it's 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 a strange balance. I'm, I, I mean, I'm I'm comparing very different things here, but I'm I'm just going based off of like an emotional experience, right? And yeah, something something. Oh, fuck. <laughs> something does feel better that for me. I I, I want to say no country, but then I also don't. Mm. Um. All right. So let me let me. Let me tell you what I've been thinking about. Yeah. That was that was certainly a consideration rewatchability. It it came up when I was thinking about it. Yeah. But then I was like, is that really what we're trying to judge here? Yeah, I know. We're putting it in the movie hall of fame. We're not really talking about entertainment value here. We're talking about something greater. Um I think both movies are profound, uh, in many ways philosophical movies. Um they're both sort of allegories. Mm-hmm. And they're both kind of bleak. Um, I think there will be blood is a more complex statement. Sure, it, that's not to say it's a more or less noble statement. No, but there are more ideas it's playing around with than No Country. Sure, No Country is a simpler movie. Does that make it better? No. Yeah. Does it make it harder? Yes. Maybe. Certainly, it does. Maybe. I think it is. Um, it is impossible. To understate how much of a wrecking ball Daniel Day-Lewis is yes. in There Will Be Blood. Javier is amazing in No Country. What's the better performance? Daniel Day. Yeah. Uh, do I hold that against No Country? No. Here's a question for you. Which movie more heavily relies on the performance? To me, it's Daniel. Uh, there Will Be Blood is the thing. Okay. Because I could say the same, I think, for both. I would I would have to go. Uh, uh, there will be blood, only, only because I know of people who have seen this movie and just can't get into it because they just find it slow and and boring. They just think that there's not enough happening. But see, I don't find it 
boring. I don't find it boring either. Like, I still thing. think it's like I was cackling at that church yeah. scene. That's an entertaining scene. Yes, absolutely. You know, of so it just is. to say because it's dark, yeah, or because it's a little weird. I'm going to subtract the entertainment value. I just don't think that's an honest way of looking at it. No, I know. And I, I don't want to dock it for that as well. So like, we you lo- can define entertaining in a number of ways. You yeah, know what I mean? I know. So that's the other consideration. Mm. Um, here is what I think pushed it over the edge for me. Yeah. And you can tell me if you agree or not. There Will Be Blood tells us more about who we are as human beings today than no country does. And I think... Its legacy will be fonder because you're going to be able to look at that movie and say, oh, that's what was going on in 2007. In the heart of the financial crisis was just about to hit. Um, There was a lot of skepticism towards authoritarian Mm. uh, um, uh, businesses, a lot of skepticism around the idea of capitalism. We were moving into the Internet age, and um, that's when a divide sort of began to open up between America and religion. It's obviously a story set many years ago, but it says a lot more, I think about the year 2007 than no country does. But I think that's just sort of the nature of the Coens. They don't go for uh, commentary on today. They go for their own sort of allegory. That's timeless. Yeah. Cause this is where I pull back from you. Cause as soon as it says too much about a specific year, I'm like, Oh no! I want this other movie. No, but it's not. But not in that way, though. Not specifically aimed at it, though. Not intentionally. No, I know. I I would I would see myself getting older and probably identifying more with No Country for that reason. Then. Yeah, but as an installment in the Movie Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like I do think like movies explicitly or not can tell you something about a particular point mm-hmm. in time. I don't think that's a bad thing. No. Like it's not bad to say. Rocky tells us something about the 70s. Sure. Rocky is still a timeless story, but it hones in on a specific um, uh, American pride that existed during the Cold War that doesn't exist now. Yes. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying like, I'm not like, it's not vice, which is like specifically trying to tell you something about the year 2019. Mm -hmm. It just happens to tell you something about the year. Yeah. I wouldn't have used Rocky Four as the best example. Not Rocky, the original. I'm saying. Oh, the original. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah, saying Rocky. Yeah, yeah. That's more like the attitude of that, though, is what you're referring sure. to. Sure. And I've talked about that before. And the attitude of "There Will Be Blood" is very similar. It's yeah. not specifically an, an allegory yeah. about the Bush era. No. The way the way you you, you have to look at it is that like uh, it uh, what was this example that I used? It was a uh, like like if I if you if you made a movie today about like Watergate, like how about this? Like the Post. Sure. The Post is a movie. That tells a, a kind of a similar story to all the president's men, similar along the along the same lines. Well, no, literally from the yeah. same era with yeah. the same characters. Yeah. Like Ben Bradley is portrayed in both movies. Yes, exactly. Yes, but uh, because of the attitude of the filmmaking and because of the the way the characters are, are drawn and written and, and and the way the movie moves, aside from the technical aspects, of course, that's not really what I'm talking about. The things that make all the president's uh, men, a seventies film are all those things I just listed. Sure. So, whereas, you know, the post takes place in the seventies or, or whenever that was, but it could have only have come out today. Right. Because of the way that that movie's made. I agree. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I agree. That's why I think there will be blood is better. That's, that's why, <laughs> no, that you, that's exactly what my argument is. You articulated it better than I did. Yes. That's my argument. It's hard though, man. I don't know. <laughs> 
my that's uh, that's my case. I it took me a while to get there, Adam. That's where I got. Yeah. I, I stood on this a lot, man. I love no country. I do. That's where I'm at. And I think it's I'm sorry, it's a better work of direction. I do. Mm, I think I it's better. I don't even know if I go that far. Because maybe I do pull back from that because I I, I, oof, I don't know, man. That's a tough that's a tough thing for me to judge. I might I might go Cohen's uh, having a better uh, directorial fee on this one. All right. That's really hard. What do you think? Uh, Tell me where your mind is at. My heart's with no country, but... My heart is with no country, too. Yes. Which is the better film? Again, no country is my more... Head's, my head's with There Will Be Blood. <sighs> I'm trusting my head on this. Because I don't know. Like, no country is the more timeless film for me. Again, it's it's the one that's uh, to me, will will age better in that way. It's one that I'm probably going to relate to more when I get older. That sort of thing. Uh, Jesus. Kind of similar thematically to what we've seen elsewhere, though. I don't care. Nah, I don't really care. I could. You could probably make the argument. That I mean, I'm just looking for tiebreakers, bro. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking for some. I'm looking for a branch. I, I'm not seeing them. Though. Give me a branch. I'm just throwing out some stuff. Like, no, they're both masterpieces. I know. I don't know though. This is the. Th- I don't. I don't know where I'm landing on I'm this. Just thing. Look, I'm, I'm just looking. I'm looking for something. I'm just throwing out possible factors. Mm. Those are some factors. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if it's enough to push me over the edge. <laughs> uh, you got to tell me what we're doing. Fuck. And then we got to go to trivia. I will say... Could, could you quickly look up what the best films of 1996 uh, were? What? Just do that for me. Okay. Real quick. <laughs> okay. Um, we have Fargo, mm-hmm. Train Spotting, mm-hmm. The People versus Larry Flint, mm-hmm. Sling Blade, English mm-hmm. Patient, Primal Fear, Jerry Maguire, Scream. Okay, there will be blood. Okay, I see what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. All right. There it is. We had to do it. It's a real Sophie's choice. I just feel like I killed one of my children. That's what I did. They can only hear my breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There it is. I'm just quiet. Fargo will get in. So we're all set. You get a trophy and you get a trophy. Fuck. We were never going to feel good about this decision, bro. I have a literal pit in my stomach. We were never going to feel good about I it. I honestly don't feel good. <laughs> we were never going to feel good about it. <sighs> I drink your milkshake. Yeah. All right. One more order of business, then we have to leave. Real quick. Next year, you chose this one. The year is 1985. Yeah. Let's draft very quickly, shall we? Yep. Do you have some in mind? I already have my three. It's okay. You can go. You want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Back to the future. Ron. Oh, of course. (laughs) Just get it out of the way. (laughs) Breakfast Club. Brazil. I knew you were... God, you're so fucking predictable. (laughs) Motherfucker. You're so predictable. 
Oh. Why? That's one of the best films of that year. God, you're so... I knew exactly what you were going to do. You know what? You know what? what? Two can play at this game. Two can play... Listen, if you want to... Fine. After Hours. Go ahead. Ooh, After Hours is good. After Hours. That movie's great. All right. <laughs> so now listen, if you're going to be the asshole to leave the obvious one off the list, you be that asshole. The Return of the Living Dead. You fucking <laughs> asshole. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why was I, what made you think I was not going to pick Brazil? Brazil is awesome. No, I knew you were going to do it. I've never seen Brazil, you know. Oh, you're going to hate it. <laughs> you're going to fucking... You're going to hate every single one of my nominees. <laughs> oh, God damn it. <laughs> All right. All right, good enough. Fine. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to There Will Be Blood. The latest mm. inductee into the movie Hall of Fame will be back next week for a breakdown of the year 1985. Catch up on these six movies... If you want to listen along with us, they are Back to the Future, The Breakfast Club, Ron, Return of the Living Dead, Brazil, and After Hours. Very eclectic list, (laughs) to say the least. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Don't add us about the Goonies. That is all Adam's fault. Oh, no. Yeah, the Duke Goonies doesn't get nominated. All right. Neither does the Color Purple, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Nope. Yeah, maybe Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but not those other two. Well, no, they didn't get nominated. No, but I never would have nominated them to begin with. Okay, good. Uh, that's it. Yeah, I guess that's it. All right, we'll be back next week with more Movie Hall of Fame. John Wick coming out. Maybe we'll mm. do a quick thing about that. We'll see. Uh, and that's it. Until next time. Uh, God, uh, I drink your milkshake. <laughs> <laughs>